Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. So recently we worked through a sermon series here at the Baptist Church of Westchester called Vices and Virtues. And what I loved about this uh, series was that we were looking at responses to desires within us, and the desires within us are good. Sometimes we, we would we would think the desires might be bad, maybe, but, but they're not. They're good desires within us that God has given us. But sometimes we can respond to those desires in unhealthy ways. And so as Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, we are invited to take off unhealthy responses to these desires. Paul would say to, to strip away, put to death these responses, and instead put on the character of Christ, healthy responses to these desires, what we might call virtues. We only had six weeks to do this sermon series, so we missed one of the vices and the virtues. The vice of gluttony, the virtue of self-control. These are responses to the desire within us for food, for drink, for pleasure. Good desires, healthy desires within us. And so today I wanted to share with you a conversation I had with Jim Layton and Boyd Myers. Uh, members of our church, who think a lot about the stewardship of our bodies and the stewardship of their bodies when it comes to their faith and have a lot of insight to share with us. It was a really helpful conversation. The vice of gluttony responds to that desire within us for for the things like food and drink, pleasure, but it it elevates that uh, to something that that might consume us to a point that that we give credit, weight, power to those things beyond what they should. That we might look to immediate pleasures like food or drink or maybe other substances or distractions, I don't know, shopping or some kind of hobby that then becomes an obsession because we're trying to solve some kind of spiritual malnutrition. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, How dominated by a desire for pleasure am I? Especially maybe when I'm in an unhealthy place and I want to reach out to one of these distractions in an unhealthy way. Why am I doing that? And instead, can we put on the virtue of self-control? That is a healthy embrace of God's good gifts for us. To know that the good and beautiful Christian life is is more than just self-gratification more than the immediate, but that there are desires within us that we can control and we don't have to let our desires control us. So without further ado, a conversation with Jim and Boyd. I just want to thank both of you uh, for joining me to talk about this and to help our church think through the stewardship of our bodies and the vice of gluttony and the virtue of self-control. So would you mind as we begin introducing yourself for those who may not know who you are? Hi, I'm Boyd Myers. I'm been a member of the church for about 40 years, practiced uh, family medicine here in Westchester for about the same period of time, and uh, have enjoyed looking at how to stay healthy or how to promote health over those 40 years. And towards the end of my career, actually entered into a new realm having to do with lifestyle medicine, which opened my eyes to many things that I was not aware of for the bulk of my practice we can share later. Fantastic. I look forward to it. And I'm Jim Layton. Uh, I'm a youngster compared to Boyd in terms of BCWC life. He's toward 40 years. I'm toward 35 years, so I'm much younger. Uh, (laughs) As to chronological age, we won't even get into that, right, Boyd? Uh, I have um, been responding to God's call on my life uh, for my whole career. Uh, I was ordained uh, to pastoral ministry and uh, pastored a church in upstate New York. Felt called to use gifts that went beyond what I could do as a pastor, uh, which eventually led to being on the uh, region staff of the American Baptist Church of Pennsylvania and Delaware and for the Philadelphia Baptist Association. Uh, In the meantime, uh, 
I've progressed to retirement and uh, on occasion in retirement have uh, given, been given the opportunity to serve the Lord in various capacities, sometimes pastoral. Fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much for your help with this. Um, and and I, I just look forward to, to learning more from your life experience and your professional experience. And um, yeah, even, you know, I remember talking to somebody in the college ministry world and they said, you get an age when you can't outrun the donuts that you eat, right? And <laughs> I'm hitting that age where I'm like, wait a minute, this life is starting to look different for me. Um, well, we have a low-fat donut recipe we can share with that's you. That's right. So that's that, right. That's the next step. Right? That'll work. That'll help. So can you tell us why we think about our bodies and our health when it comes to the issue of stewardship? Um, both of you have done some work for our church and communicating and thinking about stewardship. Why, why is our bodies included in that? Because I don't think most people think of their bodies when they think about the word stewardship. I, the body, I guess, I, you know, we have all these analogies. I guess one analogy would be a bank analogy. Uh, you know, if you put something into savings for later, if you do something to put away for other times, um, that's quite helpful in the long haul. And I think a lot of what we have discovered about maintaining health uh, has to do with doing ongoing maintenance uh, to, to put things into the account to keep the body healthy, which might be exercise, it might be how you eat, it might be uh, how you gather with people uh, in, in common groups, um, interest groups, it might be living a passion, it might be using your faith in a way that or, or, being aware of your faith and how that integrates into taking care of yourself, what God has expected of us uh, to care for and look out not only for others, as, as is commanded, but ourselves and not to neglect ourselves in those maintenance issues and put deposits in all along as we go. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing about how we think about that with community and I think like our mental health and those sort of things because sometimes that gets overlooked but that's mm -hmm. just as much part of stewardship of our body as well so thank you for that uh, Jim anything to add yeah uh, as the chairperson of the stewardship committee for the Baptist Church of Westchester I have prepared an answer <laughs> uh, now more seriously um, when you think of what the scriptures teach, I, I was drawn to Psalm 24. Uh, the first verse, and this is the New International Version, says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So my understanding based on verses like this is that God created all things, everything, including our bodies. And when you look at the first portion of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, God made Adam and Eve stewards of creation, managers of it. And that continues to this day. So uh, we are managers of all of what stewardship involves. And for our church in recent years, we've thought of six T's, uh, the letter T. And thinking of the environment, the first one is the terra firma, or the terrain. Uh, holistic stewardship uh, also includes the, the management of our time, uh, how we use our abilities, our talents, uh, what we do about the monies we have, our treasure. Uh, we also go beyond that, because uh, time, talent, and treasure have been heard from time to time, uh, to think of all that God's created also includes our relationships. Uh, what forms the togetherness times? What touches our hearts? So those those T's for that. And then there is what we're made of, our tissue, uh, which Paul uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 19 says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we have been given a responsibility and a pleasure 
uh, to be managers of all that we have, and that includes our bodies too. Absolutely, absolutely, thank you. Um, so this uh, care for your body is something that, that both of you are, are passionate about. Can you tell me where that came from? Why you're passionate about it? Why it's so, so important for you to share about it and think about it and help others with? Uh, for, for me, looking at things from a scientific end, having uh, been trained in medicine, uh, the opportunity of seeing how the body works on a, a macro or a big outside level, but also on a microscopic or molecular level, and to me, that is so exciting because every time I open another page about this, we come to an understanding that we have so much more new understanding and, and information about this to give us insights that might help to drive our behavior. Um, I think I referred to, towards the end of my career, I had an opportunity of going to a what I would call a lifestyle medicine course. Uh, and it opened my eyes in a new way. In fact, uh, I used that information in the last six months of my practice in a way that I, I almost wondered if I should retire at that point because it was, <laughs> such a, it was such an exciting way to reflect about how to take better care of the body. Uh, and as I have gotten older, I've become aware in the older age group, we'll say 65 to 90 plus, the merits of having uh, something I would call health span. Health span is that, that uh, period of time with which you really don't come down with a whole lot of conditions that are negative for the body, diseases and such. Uh, and so the longer you can maintain health, I won't say that the longer you're gonna live, but the quality of your life and the ability of serving God and others uh, is there because you're not hampered or handicapped in some way um, by some chronic disease condition, so. Helpful, Helpful. thank you. Yeah, for you, Jim. Well, for me, uh, when I was on the staff of, of uh, the two regions, uh, my responsibility was uh, mission interpretation and understanding and stewardship education, which involved, as you, heard those six T's, which I won't repeat, <laughs> but, uh, but it became more personal, my uh, consideration of, of how I treated my body when I had a heart attack. And that happened in 1992. And uh, I was in good shape, my weight, I wasn't that overweight. I was exercising a little bit by walking, but there's one factor that we can't undo and that's heredity. Mm -hmm. And I th had thought, well, it might, it might not have continued to my generation, but it did on my mm -hmm. biological father's side. So I did some studying, uh, including picking on this guy from mm -hmm. time to time, and, and came uh, to an understanding that there are three factors when it comes to heart disease. Uh, one is stress. If we reduce our stress, that's good for us. Uh, one is exercise. We need to maintain our bodies, as Boyd had mentioned. And uh, the third is diet, how we eat. So in studying Dean Ornish's book, which addressed those three, uh, I became a vegetarian and uh, gave up meat, fish, and poultry. Uh, fish once in a while, poultry only on Thanksgiving. and. Uh, and have sought to be a good steward of the body I have, which is not what everybody's body requires, but mine did. And then after Boyd went to this <laughs> seminar, he said, you know, Jim, I learned about being a vegan. And he said, I'm gonna try it. And I said, well, give it a try and let me know how it goes. He, I said, I could probably do that. Uh, the difference between vegan and vegetarian is basically to give up uh, Dairy, for me, that was the, the basic thing. You know, I love cheese and the like. Um, but um, sure enough, he tried it. And uh, toward his retirement, he looked for somebody to convert. <laughs> and he found me. Sure, <laughs> meals, sure. So, and we exchanged recipes, recipes even from time to time. Sure. And, um, and uh, I think I can speak for both of us that in our... Um, evangelistic style of being a vegan, 
we don't believe everybody can do it or should do it. But for me, particularly because of the body type I have and the history I have, it's one way I can become a better steward mm-hmm. of my body. That's helpful. But do you have any more thoughts about, you know, the things you observed in those last six months and what you've seen since that have been helpful that might be helpful to just anybody that's listening today? I guess what, let me think about what I observed. I, I think I was startled by the fact that there were some fairly, I won't call them easy steps, but there were some steps that I really hadn't heard about for the previous 40 years in practice that really opened my eyes to say, this is an opportunity for me. God's given me a moment. I'm changing what I'm doing in terms of career. I'm going to be retired. This is an opportunity to, to look in the, into the kitchen, see if I can function in, in the culinary, you know, in that sphere. Uh, so learning more about that was an opportunity. Um, and I thought, if, if I'm going to do this, this is the time to do it because the opportunity is clearly there. Uh, so I read like crazy. I, I looked back at some of the other pillars, which might be sleep, as, as Jim has referred to, and your exercise. Uh, but sleep, I would, there's some restorative things that God's given us opportunity, you know, through time. There's going to bed when the sun goes down, mm-hmm. getting up when the sun comes up, and there's some circadian or day-night cycles there that, again, that have been provided for us that I was also looking into. From the nutrition standpoint, this idea of a, a plant-dominant diet uh, or you know, plant-based diet with, without any meat, cheese, ice cream, yogurt, uh, there's this phrase that's often used, you know, I don't need anything with a mother or a face. <laughs> um, as, and you know, thinking that through, you can see that that gives up the dairy elements and uh, the milk, cheese, ice cream, yogurt sorts of things. I thought that was going to be terribly difficult, and mm-hmm. I don't know why it wasn't as difficult as I had heard for people uh, you know, stepping into that. And I don't know whether it was just my overwhelming enthusiasm and feeling you know, that this was a new road and I was being led to take it. Uh, I've talked to many people who have had similar experiences. Other people have said, I couldn't do that for a week. One of the interesting things that seemed to happen in taking those nutrition steps was taste changes, perceptions of food change. We've thought about food in one way for so long that we think we'll never be able to change. But it's interesting what happens to taste. And things that I would have rejected years before suddenly were quite tasty. Mm. Sour things, acrid things. Uh, I thought, this is a new experience. <laughs> so having that new experience, I think, uh, was a great opportunity to move forward. And I was able to, to do that. The other is working together with someone. And I, I, and I, I can't stress enough <coughs> making changes and having someone uh, keep you steady and keep you on task and say, you know, remember you, you said this worked and I tried it and it worked for me mm-hmm. and here's a recipe and here's, here's how I cook this. That camaraderie ship uh, was something that w- was quite electric mm-hmm. and, and we continue to share those things when we see new ideas uh, or share food, you know, you know, here, try this, taste this. That's, that's been uh, central, I think, mm-hmm. to, to making those changes. So, It's so helpful to think about things like how we eat and how we sleep um, as part of our spiritual practices. And the things you're describing is the, is the reason spiritual practices are so powerful, is as they kind of rewire our brain with new habits and be able to participate in them in community and grow together. I mean, what you're describing is... is the way people have been practicing spiritual practices for thousands of years, and yet we often don't think about our bodies or what we eat or all those things as fitting into that, but they, they're so vital for our spiritual health too. So I just find that really interesting and really helpful and how God has 
use that for you as a way for yourself but for others mm-hmm. to kind of proclaim this way of being that is helpful for people for their for their health span which i think is a good way to think about it that's so helpful as i think about this also we talked about already how this isn't the answer for everybody this particular diet of course you know i think about when my wife was pregnant with twins and the amount of calories and double cheeseburgers that she needed to consume uh, to make it through the day. Um, But also I think about those who have unhealthy relationships with food and tied to all kinds of different things in their lives. You know, for me, from my family history, food was often used to medicate, right? You're having a bad day, go eat something that's bad for you. Um, But for other folks, there is um, eating disorders and, and other things that affect people how might you talk about, what advice would you give people like that who are dealing with their own unhealthy relationship with food and maybe an invitation to changing how they eat or diet might feel like for them another burden or another excuse to, to do something unhealthy for themselves. Do you have any advice for someone like that? The, the arena of uh, fasting is huge and what that might mean in one circumstance to someone who is uh, the dynamics the psychodynamics that go into mm-hmm. uh, fasting and purging and those kinds of uh, detrimental uh, sort of health spheres uh, that people enter i don't think that's an easy one for us uh, even in what we're doing uh, to advise on that that really takes prof- professional intervention uh, I think one of the places that at least I've tried, and I think uh, Pastor Jim has as well, is we eat in this way. People in the church or friends around us know that (laughs) this is a choice that we've made. And sometimes it's quite helpful and they'll they'll have a certain dish when we go over to their houses because they know we're not gonna eat what everyone else is eating. Um, and, and, And that's been helpful, but we've not tried to proselytize sure. our, our way of eating on them, but let them see, okay, has it changed us? Have we lost weight? Do we have energy? You know, what do we look like? And sometimes that has invited questions by people who are saying, you know, I've had a real difficult time with this, and I know you all are doing something that's quite different from how I've been treating myself. Can you share some of that with me? And, and when invited, um, that has been an opportunity to, to open up, you know, maybe in small measure to begin with and expand that as their interest seems to, um, to expand. If for example, on a plant-based, there's, uh, there's some folks right now who wanted to make some changes and we've shared some recipes with them. And I think one of the interesting things is sometimes people expect everything in terms of what we're doing to taste bad. <laughs> how, how can that be good? And as I mentioned before, sometimes there's a change of taste, but more often than not, they say, that, that was really a good recipe. Mm-hmm. I, I, really, I really liked it. I'm going to make that one again. And, but completely surprised and taken aback because they expected I'm not going to like this. I, I, I won't be able to do this. And, and I'm not saying that they've made major changes or gone to the degree perhaps that we have, but it's opened up a spectrum of things and for them to try and know that they can make some changes, even in small increments, uh, to take better care of their health. So um, the, the harder one is the, the, the idea of fasting. Fasting has been used for time in memoriam within spiritual practices and um, as a way of bringing the body into sharp focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been used in Christian circles and, and many, many other faiths. And I think we have tried that within the church a couple of times, uh, uh, certain holidays, and it's it seemed to be difficult. However, mm-hmm. in people looking at things like ketogenic diet, which is a time of fasting, the body can shift metabolism. The most exciting thing to me from a science standpoint is to know that we can go from a mostly carbohydrate, I don't want to say just sugar, but 
But carbohydrates in general, uh, as, as one third of the fuel that comes into us, uh, we can shift from a diet there that has less carbohydrates, perhaps more fat, um, and the body can make this shift. If you go into looking at tribal societies, they had times when they didn't eat for two or three days out on a hunt. The berries were gone, and so the carbohydrates were gone. And as soon as that animal was brought down, the community came together to celebrate. They had more fat, more protein, and the body could incorporate that. So shifting from this kind of metabolism to that kind of metabolism, God has put in this machinery mm -hmm. things that we, we really have just discovered and realized the intricacies of what's there. And so shifting back and forth is certainly something that the body can do. And there are reasons for spiritual purposes, for heightening awareness that you might use it. But it might put you in a perspective for people who don't have as much as we have here in the United mm -hmm. States, and they go for days, mm -hmm. even thinking about Ukraine mm -hmm. and hearing how they've been getting through. And they're going two and three and four days without food. And yet their body can tap into the reserves in the bank, in fat stores, so that they can live without uh, developing disease. Uh, and then shift back when food does come in. You know, what a gift God's given us there. And then when you think of um, those who have uh, food difficulties, um, the church is meant to be a community of support. Mm -hmm. And everyone needs support on whatever journey they're on. But particularly if you have a food problem, uh, to go it alone mm -hmm. is, is just not what is meant to happen. Uh, having a congregation or having uh, a helpful spouse or a close friend uh, to encourage you to listen to what the frustration is. Uh, Boyd has been terrific in the kitchen, as he suggested. I'm not as terrific as he is, <laughs> at least in the kitchen. And for me, it's been my wife. Betty has supported this vegan lifestyle, which does take a little I won't say it takes a lot of work, but it's a different way in our society Absolutely. to shop, to prepare, to eat. And uh, when, when Boyd mentioned yogurt, we've discovered there is a, uh, an almond milk-based yogurt that, uh, that we have found. And compared to when I started being a vegetarian in the 90s, there are alternate foods now that do not have any animal products in them, uh, or for me, I look at low fat, and that are semi-prepared, mm -hmm. which does make it easier. But I, I hope we've addressed the, the question, particularly about those who have food problems. Yeah, and I think, I think it's so important that we admit that, that the, the church often sometimes steps in to give answers where it's really not qualified. And, and when it comes to areas of mental health, it's so important to get professional help. Let the church be your support network. Right. Um, and also, I would, I would just encourage people to not feel shame um, and not feel mm -hmm. like that's something they have to hide, but they can go and get help and know that that doesn't make them a bad person or a bad Christian or something like that. We all um, need help. Amen to that. I think what I would add to that is what the church community has to offer is being present with. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is often being present with doesn't mean we have answers or even have the ability of directions, but to know someone will sit with you mm -hmm. even silently uh, just to give you the opportunity of talking, sharing. It builds trust mm -hmm. and that trust allows well, maybe they will mention, maybe they will share something that they're having a difficulty with. And that, the role of presence, mm -hmm. I think, is so underestimated. Uh, the church community can do that for one another. Exactly. And, um, so not having an answer, we're not getting into it. My, my wife reminded me years ago, 
there were times that I would come home from the office having given answers to 20 or 30 people during the day and solutions and medications and all this and she would ask something and I would all of a sudden jump into my, you know, here's what you should do mode. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was popular, <laughs> wasn't it? And she, and she shared with me a different direction. She shared with me, this is a time when I need you to listen, but I don't need you to give me direction. Mm -hmm. And it took a couple of years of hearing that mm -hmm. for me to realize the importance of that, and that's the importance of present. Mm -hmm. Being able to listen, nod your head, say, uh-huh, mm -hmm. and be present with eyeball to eyeball. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that it doesn't take a lot of skill to mm -hmm. do. It just takes intent and realizing where you are in that moment Absolutely. and what your service is at that moment. And that's, that's very important because not just for physicians, but a lot of us, have been programmed to be problem solvers. Mm -hmm. All parents are problem solvers. Many spouses are problem solvers, maybe not all. And, and to be a team and to listen, uh, that, that's a good reminder uh, because we do want to, we get so involved with what a person is feeling, the heavy feelings, that we want them to go away. We want to solve the situation so that they feel better. And Boyd's right, sometimes just being there. Uh, and, and it's a, uh, it's a, it, it takes time, if you are a problem solver, mm -hmm. to go into that other mode of being one who supports without solving the problem. Absolutely. And sometimes it's just, and you can ask the direction you know, is this one of those moments in our conversation where you want me to listen or do you want, are you asking for direction? And that simple question gives you know, very explicit directions as to how you can be most helpful. Yeah. Um, and they will tell you, mm -hmm. I want you to listen. I want you, yeah, sometimes, I need a solution. Yeah, sometimes we feel like we can't ask that question. We have to, oh, we always have to infer, mm -hmm. but it's so helpful to just say, do, do you need me, do you, are you looking for a solution or just listening? And I often ask that of my wife and she will tell me. <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it puts the direction of where you're going mm -hmm. on the person's shoulders mm -hmm. instead of on yours. Yeah. And, and though they may feel a burden, uh, it's their right to make that choice as to what they need. Mm -hmm. And it helps those of us who are uh, helpers to know what direction to right. go. Right, it's great. Well, we could talk about that sort of thing all day, um, but I, <laughs> I do want to talk about um, a little bit more about eating and, and stewardship of the body. And so, um, in the book that we looked at as, as we went through the series on vices and virtues, Littering Vices by Rebecca DeYoung, one of the poignant questions she asks is, are we eating in a way that is appropriate to our health, appropriate to the people we live with, and appropriate in our vocation? So how do you think about answering that question? How might someone answer a question like that? Because it feels pretty big and, yes. <laughs> and, and scary to me as I read it. Um, how might we answer that question for ourselves? Are we eating in a way that's appropriate to our health? Maybe that's the easiest one to answer. The people we live with and then our vocation. And sometimes it changes. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it took a heart attack yeah. that uh, informed me of what body type I had. I, I didn't think uh, I would become a vegetarian, let alone a vegan. But for me, those were steps that I felt uh, would give me better health, to be around for my kids, and now my grandkids. Um, so, so it is an individual decision. Uh, we have members in the church, for instance, who are in their 90s, and I won't mention their names, uh, but, but they can eat most anything. Yeah. Amazing. And that's their body type. There are others of us in our congregation who have eaten the normal Western diet, but have come up against some health concern or health challenge. And they then may be considering a different way of eating based on their new needs. 
And uh, for people like Boyd and me, uh, we're familiar with something called, is it Blue Zone? The Blue Zones. What, yeah. What's the Blue Zone about? Uh, well, the Blue Zones are areas of the world where people live to be uh, exceedingly old, uh, 90 plus, we'll say. Uh, Sardinia, outside of Italy, uh, some areas in the Philippines, western part of the United States, uh, and, and Utah, uh, or Loma Linda, California, rather, uh, and, and several others. And what's been found in these areas is there are components, or are, I'll just say, things that these folks seem to be consistently following that are quite different from here in the United States. Uh, there's community, there's sleep, there's community support coming in and seeing some of these elderly folks. Uh, and their diet is generally quite simple. And many of these sweet potatoes, as in the case of the, the Philippines. But it's recognized in these big population groups that they do something different than here and it is giving them health span that I referred to a little while ago, a period of time where they have no chronic diseases, mm -hmm. which is astounding compared to here. Right. So it's apparent that in population studies, one of the things we talk about in science is, you know, double-blind controlled studies, mm -hmm. you know, where you, you've got controls and, you know, you look at it in a very scientific manner and add up all your numbers to compare groups. And then there are studies that are sort of uh, observational studies. Observational studies are where you you just look from the outside and said, this group over here is doing different than this group here. What's the difference? Now, that's not a double-blind controlled study and you can't infer cause, but you can infer something different and maybe if we discover enough of the variables, we'll be able to tell. The Blue Zone folks seem to have a lot of that. Um, so, I, were you referring to well, basically some, some set of that? No, <laughs> in terms of observation, maybe not double-blind study. Um, reports have been given of those who live in in or near some of these blue zones, which are basically vegetarian or vegan type diets, and then they move to the United States, where the, what's called the Western diet includes a lot of things they didn't have before. And with that move and with the change in their diet, they develop mm. conditions that they didn't have before, medical problems mm -hmm. that are affecting their body. So, so that's why at times when Boyd and I uh, talk about this, we do get a little bit uh, over the top by saying, you know, give this a try because it does work. It isn't that hard, and we want you around mm. for a long time. Mm. And I think that's, when, when she talks about the people you live with, right, as you mentioned your kids, I think about Betty, who has adjusted her lifestyle as well, maybe less for her health, but more for your health. Yeah. And what a, what a gift of stewardship that is, of yeah. stewarding that relationship. And, I, and I'm, I'm gonna be saying health span now, from now on. <laughs> that's such a helpful way to think about it because you're going to say what? Health span. I think that's such a health, healthy way to think about our lives and you know, what choices am I making that mean I can serve people, I can be the best pastor I can be, I can do the things I'm called to do well because I've taken care of myself. Right. Uh, You've set a foundation yeah, yeah, for, for, all, for your passion and your, mm -hmm. your vocation, if you will, your calling to be able to be carried out because that foundation is based on many you know, very firm concepts and will carry you for a longer time in a healthy manner. So, mm -hmm. yes. It's helpful. I, it, within my own family, I found it curious in terms of the rubbing off. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'll just talk more about plant dominant diets uh, or eating. Uh, even members of our family who thought, you know, we were pretty crazy going into this radical vegan thing. Uh, and then the, the soft cell approach within healthcare has been plant-based, becoming plant-based for health reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, not for reasons necessarily of animal uh, rights and protection, 
But within my own family, several of the members of the family have kind of bent in this direction mm -hmm. and find they are doing more you know, plant-dominant diets, maybe not having meat three times a day, but just once a day, yeah, sure. or maybe just twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, and they found it also saves them money in the supermarket, <laughs> but, but they've also found this was surprisingly, I won't say easy, it, it surprised them that they felt okay, things tasted okay, and they could make a change. And the sense that they were doing something healthy for their health span is, is not to be underestimated. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I feel that I'm doing something to take better care mm -hmm. of this temple. And um, that seems to rub off. On the other hand, even with animal rights um, issues, I found that it made me look and reflect mm -hmm. about those issues because I was kind of unaware of those before. Mm -hmm. But but that might include, you know, taking care of, you know, those animals that are used, how they're slaughtered, how the uh, excrement is taken care of, how that, how not taking care of that has affected people's health health mm -hmm. around those areas. Um, I, I don't want to get into details of that because uh, it, it, it's maligning to some of the people who are taking care of it. But some of those issues are changing uh, because of sustainability, because of environment. Uh, and I'm excited about that. So some of that has also rubbed off on me mm -hmm. because of taking this stance. I didn't see that coming. Mm. Uh, am I out there with placards? No, I, I think people who have that passion are going to continue that, and, and I'm happy to support them. Um, but that's been something unexpected. It's so interesting that it's all—it's like you're you're freed from uh, the because you almost don't want to look. You don't want to know when you're so dependent on something, and so you maybe know in the back of your head there are things there that are not just or not right. But I'm not going to pay attention to it because it's so part of my routine in my life. Mm -hmm. But as you free yourself from that, you are able to allow yourself to be more aware. And that's that's unsurprising <laughs> to me then and really interesting of what happens and, and why um, stewardship of our bodies and stewardship of how we think about food is so important. Because if we're doing anything that's putting blinders on to what's going on in the world, that's Probably a problem. Right? Well, and, and in that regard, you know, when you're in your teens or early adolescent or late adolescent years, you know, you're in a sense uh, somewhat. I need to think of another word than bulletproof, but you, but you, you see yourself as not falling prey to, mm -hmm. you know, health concerns, and so you eat, or drink, do other things with blind abandon. And it's not until there is a crisis, as Jim referred to the health crisis that he was faced with, that you can make a change. But getting people to understand we can't do this end for too long because it radically will affect that health span. Mm -hmm. And so bringing awareness to some of the things that we find that are quite helpful mm -hmm. and reducing Inflammation, and we haven't talked about inflammation, and I know Jim has, has keyed into this in the last couple of years with, with both of our reading. The idea of inflammation in the body, which has to do with oxygenation and free radicals and things like that, and how phytonutrients, that is the thing within plants that help reduce uh, some of that inflammatory process. We hope we haven't lost anybody. Yeah. Well, he, he can edit out. <laughs> but, but, but that whole arena yeah. is just being opened up. How mitochondria react, how certain foods reduce or increase that inflammation. And the basis for disease might not be the simple measures of cholesterol that we have attributed it to, certainly is part, and an important part, but there are other factors that we have been blind to because we've gotten so focused on, say, cholesterol and fats, there may be a broader realm that we can continue to look at that might be quite helpful. And, and in that regard, um, 
what was known in the 90s, for instance, yeah, yeah, about right. health uh, is nothing compared to what is known now mm -hmm. uh, because of studies, because of um, uh, looking at what happens, as Boyd suggests, when you're young mm -hmm. does affect when you get older. Uh, I, I read a study recently about uh, atherosclerosis that begins in your teenage years. Mm -hmm and continues so that um, years ago I think it was Prince Spaghetti that talked about Wednesday is spaghetti day you know well if you have one non-meat day uh, in your dinner preparations and that the pasta sauce does not have meat or anything in it uh, that's, a, that's a start in taking care of your body in reducing some of those factors that can lead to inflammation and can lead to hardening of the arteries. Excellent. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. It's been helpful for me. Um, is there anything else that, that we didn't get to you want to make sure we share? I know within the Young's, I think that's how you pronounce her name, she talks about um, eating for delight or what is the reason for your eating? Are you eating because you're hungry? Are you eating because it's, it's giving you control over experiencing delight? Mm -hmm. I, I think with some of the terminology she, she used. And, and we do in our culture find that we treat ourselves because we know that this comes from Jamaica and it has such a wonderful taste. And I want to reward myself mm -hmm. with this. It's not because we're hungry and we need energy and sort of very simple approaches. We do get sidetracked on this deserving of, you know, these delicious elements. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not quite sure how to turn all that off because mm -hmm. I think it's difficult to think in terms of just getting the fuel that you need to run your body because it's not how we, mm -hmm. it's not the schema on which we kind of think about food. But there could be some celebrative That's foods good. like dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. You know, for those who like chocolate, and we won't take a survey of that, but most people, dark, <laughs> dark chocolate is, can be helpful in small quantities. And so food is sometimes a way uh, to treat ourselves right. to some pleasure, to some joy, to reward ourselves by food. Uh, Something like dark chocolate can do that and still help us be good stewards of our body. When we, we talked about how our metabolisms can change and I think there's so much value in holding that tension between discipline and also appreciating mm -hmm. the vastness of God's creation. It's a gift to have taste buds. Um, and that's why I love the pra practice of Lent and you know the way that the church has practiced Lent is that every Sunday is a mini Easter and so you mm -hmm. you don't observe your Lenten fast on Sundays, which a lot of people don't know. Um, and then when you read about people doing things like, you know, cheat days in their diet, I mean, this is, the church has been doing this for 2,000 years, right? But there, there is something there of saying, okay, I'm gonna celebrate, indulge in something that celebrates God's goodness one day and be disciplined the rest of the times and how our metabolism reacts to that. And even, you know, I've found Sometimes my wife and I have said, okay, no like complex carbs or sugars for Lent. And then we might on Sundays have right. something, you know, pasta. And we can't eat as much. And we find our, like our bodies have adjusted. Adjust way. That's really, really helpful. Um, so there's a tension there that I think is really interesting that allows us to delight, but not rely on the delight or, or delight in an unhealthy way. And the church at its best encourages the idea of maintaining your body, mm -hmm. but enjoying life as well. Exactly. And, and they don't have to be opposites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so some of your recipes help us do that, even in the plant-based world, which is wonderful. Yeah. Well, even with Ramadan, we had about five years ago, uh, the Muslim community invited us to participate in the ending of the Ramadan fast uh, locally. and. A number of churches went to participate, mm -hmm. and it was it was just quite it was foreign to us mm -hmm. because we were learning about another faith and how they operate. But again, how they use fasting as as a means of 
you know, well, it's a, it's a discipline, um, and, and that may not be the whole of it, that's part of what we learned, uh, but breaking that fast and the celebratory nature of the community mm -hmm. together, the preparation of food, mm -hmm. the sharing of food, not necessarily the overindulgence, but there were those who were more enthusiastic sure. at, <laughs> at the end of that. <laughs> sure. uh, but I, so there's something to that discipline that's shared at least across several faiths uh, as an example. So, but anyhow. <laughs> Anything else? Did we answer that last question? You, I think so. About vocation, I think yeah. that, I didn't quite understand her, mm -hmm. her question about vocation. Well, it could refer to the calling, whatever that calling is, or it could be referring to employment. Yeah, I think, when I think of vocation, uh, yeah, I think of it as a calling, can be employment. I think your answer early on about health span mm -hmm. um, helped me answer that question because I'm unable to fulfill my vocation if I'm not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so how, how am I stewarding my health in a way that's equipping me to do what I'm called to do? Vocation and family as well. Absolutely. For, for the family to see you be able to make choices mm -hmm. that they maybe don't see as purposeful choices mm -hmm. in the beginning, but as they ask you about, my friend doesn't do this, but you do this. Why, mm -hmm. why, why did you make that choice? So it invites questions over time. For mm -hmm. And being a good steward of your body is a way to say, I love you mm -hmm. to those who are closest to you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.